Welcome to I Wish I Knew, a Twitter research podcast. Each episode, you'll hear from different researchers at Twitter as we explore why research matters and celebrate the people and culture surrounding the work. Research is the spark that ignites countless insights, ideas, and solutions. It connects us to the humanity on the platform in deeply empathetic and inspiring ways, and it helps us better serve the public conversation. So we hope you'll join along and tweet us your questions at Twitter Research. Welcome to this episode of I Wish I Knew, a Twitter research podcast. I'm Maggie Halley. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a white woman and I'm wearing a striped shirt against a white backdrop. And I'm an experienced researcher here at Twitter that focuses on the business and revenue side of the house. I'm incredibly lucky to be joined today by my fellow research colleague, Kia. Hello, hello. I am Kia Elamine. My pronouns are she, her. I am an African-American woman. I am wearing a red shirt and fabulous blue-rimmed glasses. I'm also an experienced researcher here at Twitter. My focus is customer journey and the experience on the platform. Yes. And in this episode, we'll be discussing a foreign and sometimes confusing language that is near and dear to Kia and my heart, speaking research. We've studied and honed this language and feel fairly comfortable calling ourselves fluent at this point. What do you think, Kia? I'd say, yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And actually, we want you all to feel that same way. So today, what we're going to be talking about is how we learned to speak research and some of the observations that we've made about the vernacular, some of the terms that we and our colleagues use to navigate our day to day and bring the voice of the people to our teams. No small order, Kia. But before we continue, let's just dive a bit deeper and make sure that folks understand what we do here at Twitter. And while the types of projects that Kia and I are focusing on might differ just a little bit, we both conduct research with the same really important North Star. We want every team within Twitter to care about our customers, and we want to be sure that we're always building with them in mind. Amen, Maggie. So we actually take that responsibility really seriously um, to make sure that their voice, their needs and preferences are reflected in everything that we create. And that's a huge part of my job in particular. So I sit on the consumer team and my main focus is, again, like I said, the customer journey. So when you think about the new and the returning customers, as well as the onboarding experience, that's what I'm tasked to research. And so basically uncovering what it's like to be a customer on Twitter and how that experience can be even better. And hopefully all of you are customers. And if you're not, please go to twitter.com and sign up as soon as possible. I sit on the revenue side of the house where my team and I are thinking about the different ways that Twitter makes money, how that can be optimized and what new and creative ways we can come up with to better service Twitter. And she is a fire researcher. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. As we all know, learning any new language comes with its hiccups, right? So I'm sure every researcher can remember that feeling of like when a colleague or maybe a client fluent in research started spouting off instructions or insights riddled with research babble. I certainly can remember mine. So picture Richmond, Virginia, circa 19, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) 
um, as my sophomore year, I took an internship working at a call center. And that's actually how I got my start in research. I was working on an election campaign. And so my manager comes to me and she says, listen, the screener and interview guide need work. It lacks appropriate probes and prompts. And I'm just like, Okay, so I really couldn't use my context clues there. I had no idea what she meant. I didn't know how to fix it because I didn't know exactly what it was. And I was so young that I just didn't feel like confident enough to say, hey, I don't know what any of the things that you just said meant. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I felt that in my bones. As you were just sharing that, I thought about my own experience as a baby researcher, certainly not fluent in speaking research just yet. My then manager told me that in my second week, I'd be reviewing grids and brainstorming projective techniques to prep for a friendship group that she was running with two stakeholders at the end of the week. So yeah, let's just say I needed major translation. First of all, that sounds incredibly intense. (laughs) But you know what? That's a big part of this, right? So as researchers, we must translate. But that also means we have to code switch. So as researcher, a big part of our job is that code switch. So the translation of our insights into digestible and actionable items, and even that sentence actually (laughs) is in code. But like, I think honestly, the job of our researchers, we're advocates, clear. Absolutely. And I think that's something that you and I realized as we were thinking about this chat is that so much of the nomenclature around research really lacks humanity. Mm -hmm. And as we get to know our customers really deeply and empathize with them qualitatively, and we start to see their needs and desires at scale quantitatively, you start to feel defensive and almost (laughs) responsible for the humans that are behind these numbers or data points. And you want to advocate and communicate what they want. Absolutely. Plus one to use some jargon really quickly. But that's absolutely right. Right. So it's like the humanity words actually matter. So let's talk about how you do that. So we see three key buckets on how to speak research. And so the way that we're setting this up is three buckets. Number one, commonly used terms. So again, these are terms that are like muscle memory for researchers. They're almost reflexive in nature. We say them almost daily. We hear them almost daily. We read them almost daily. Then we have bucket two, which is where Maggie's going to dig in. So this is the new modern jargon. These are terms that are now starting to evolve because we're in different spaces. And then we have the third bucket, stuff we hope never to hear again, dated comments that absolutely need to go away. So as a cool exercise, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a sentence, right? I'm going to use a ton of jargon and then Maggie is going to translate for me. Are you down, Mags? I think I'm ready. (laughs) I'm sharpening my pencil over here. (laughs) Here we go. The skip logic on these close ends are leading and may introduce bias in the survey. And we may need to include some probes and open ends to help clarify intent. Yeah. So I just want the listeners to imagine that they're on that email as a non-researcher. That's a sentence that they just might not know what to do with. So let me help you out. What Kia was saying there is that the questionnaire that she's creating includes questions that aren't clear. They could be misinterpreted by the survey taker. So what she, as the researcher, actually needs to do is add a few more free-form questions so that the survey taker can clarify what they meant by the answer they selected. And that'll really help to ensure that the results won't slant toward a specific group. 
you go, Maggie. Look at you. You're just a sharp researcher. That's absolutely right, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) So some other commonly used terms that we hear, I'm going to run down a few of them. I'm going to say them. Mags is going to translate. All right. Maggie, synthesize. Synthesize. This is a nice way of saying that we get lots of learnings, both qualitatively and quantitatively. We often call these insights. They come from all different places and all different people. So in order to help clarify what we learn and in order to help ensure that our partners know exactly how to apply it to their job after they leave our presentation, we organize it. We write it in a narrative so that it's super digestible for everyone that's hearing it. That synthesis is a critical part of the analysis that Kia and I do after we gather all of our learnings. Does that help, Kia? <laughs> Maggie, you have been doing this for a long time, it sounds like. You, you know your business, hon. I'm a vet. <laughs> Absolutely. So this next one, stimuli, is really interesting. I have a funny story about stimuli because I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, someone was going to get poked and prodded. I remember thinking, (laughs) this is a really scientific term. And scientific is not a word, FYI. I just made that up. But I remember (laughs) stimuli thinking, is this ethical? What are we doing exactly? Maggie, what is stimuli? Luckily, it's far more benign than you thought, (laughs) Kia. Stimuli are the materials that we use qualitatively or quantitatively to give customers a more clear understanding of what we are trying to learn about. So, for example, if we want a Twitter customer to understand the onboarding process for creating a new Twitter profile, we might use some screen grabs of that experience. We might use a prototype that actually shows what it will look and feel like to click through the onboarding process of creating a new profile. So stimuli or stim helps all of the participants that we're interviewing in any format know exactly what we mean in a very visual way. Maggie for the three. Again, spot on. This girl is hot. I'm going to give you one more and see if I can uh, trip you up at all. Hmm, Let's see. How about non-rejector? Ooh, (laughs) this is an important one, and we're certain that no listeners of this podcast are rejectors, but we're often looking for people to join our research that don't hate our brand. (laughs) We want them to have at least a slightly favorable view of Twitter as a brand so that their responses don't come from a really skewed point of view and so that they aren't looking at our research topic through a lens of brand hate. So often we're searching for those non-rejectors of Twitter or any other brand that you're researching. Absolutely. I can't get you, Maggie. She's on fire, honestly. I mean, goodness, you are the goat at this point. Well, thank you. (laughs) So as you can see, this is a big job of speaking research. Having a deep understanding of those foundations as a researcher, but having the ability to translate for the non-researchers that might want to learn what you learned as well. To always keep us on our toes, and because every language that we know is always evolving, there's some new words and jargon that often enter the mix. Lately, I've been hearing colleagues use a few of these phrases and terms, so I'll share them with you. The first is velocity. 
which, you know, that sounds great. What do you mean? (laughs) How quickly we can complete our research and share back what we learn. Also, at the top of lots of emails, because we're all incredibly busy, is TLDR. So this is stolen from Reddit, and it's a modern-day executive summary. If I open this email, what's the quick top line that I need to know to understand exactly what you learned? Other words, like empathy building, which is when we as researchers try to encourage our stakeholders to walk a mile in the shoes of our customers. It's a really important part of our gig and helps all of our insights be very human-centric. And finally, terms like future-proofing. We're always trying to surface learnings, of course, that are really salient today, but we want them to have legs in the future. And we want people who read our research to also be able to apply it to their modern era. And also things like journey mapping. It's a great way to think about consumers end to end. Oh my gosh, Kia, I'm literally using buzzwords (laughs) as I'm trying to describe buzzwords. So there's that. But these journey maps, they're really helpful and they help us think about some unclear areas in customers' lives. Are you following over there, Kia? Absolutely. Just trying to keep up. But that is absolutely exactly what we're talking about. It's like we fall right back into the habit of using these words. But let's talk about that last bucket we talked about. So those outdated phrases that folks in the industry used to use that we're super happy to see going away. When we think about keeping our customers center and human and customer centric, we need to be sensitive to the language that we're using. So gender-specific terms when you're applying to a group. So when you think about a moderator coming into a group of people and saying something as simple as, hey, guys, or when you think about ableist language. So a lot of us say things like, this is a blind spot, when they just basically mean they lack the insight around a particular area. That's ableist language or even racist and outdated terms in terms of like Hispanic customers when you're talking about an entire group of people. I think it's really important as we talk about being advocates for customers, we keep them focused and we remember that our words actually do have impact. So when we think about these terms, we need to sunset them because as the language and our culture evolves, so do researchers, basically. Yes. And I'm so happy that we ended on that third bucket because it's critical. And of course, we feel this responsibility to make sure that our stakeholders understand the people behind our research when we are speaking research. We also want to be good, responsible citizens. We want to be inclusive and welcoming to the people who are giving of their time and their experiences to us as researchers. Absolutely. Even in saying things like respondents, participants, sample, I feel like that's just so incredibly not personalized. And so you can start to think of people as product and that just absolutely gives me the hives. So when you're thinking about and you're advocating and evangelizing, again, buzzword, um, making sure that we're talking about people as they exist, because we are the voice of the customers. We are really advocating to make sure that their preferences and their needs are being taken seriously and being centered when we're creating all of the magic that we create here at Twitter. So another part of this podcast is that we like to collect questions from our listeners and followers that follow at Twitter research. These questions are just curiosities that they have about research as a topic or how to be a researcher. And we're here to help Kia. So are you ready for today's question? I am ready. 
So the question is, what are some pointers you can share for making my research more digestible for non-researchers? Good question. So I'm going to give the advice that my mom used to give me. So picture a seven-year-old Kia coming home with a complex story about her entire day. And my mom used to just say, make it plain, Kia. Make it plain. And that's really my advice here. Just boil it down to the basics and make it clear. Everyone doesn't have, you know, your level of learning around research. And so as you heard Maggie and I talk using these sentences that were overly complex and complete with jargon, just make it plain. You understand the research. You know exactly what it is. Say that. A customer doesn't like that. Say that. And then the next immediate sentence behind that should be why the customer doesn't like X. So make it plain. I love that, Kia. And I can just picture seven-year-old you (laughs) and your efforts to make it plain. I think my advice would be know your audience. I think a big step before your whole research undertaking is to really know what your stakeholders need, know how they're going to use this research and how they need to apply your insights to their day job and translate accordingly. Our goal is to help, like we said, center the voice of that customer. So a big part of that is just understanding how the audience in the room is going to use your insights. So you got some free direction there, dear listener. Absolutely. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of I Wish I Knew. We hope that today gave you a few nuggets to help you up your research speak. But more importantly, we hope it served as a reminder that there are always people behind the data points. Additionally, reach out to us on Twitter. You can reach Maggie at mag underscore star 12 and me at Elamink. Or join the conversation and tweet us any questions you might have at Twitter Research to have them answered in future episodes. And we'll have those future episodes coming soon. So please subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms so that you don't miss out. Until then, stay well, take care, and goodbye. Bye.